0: Hello there and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. Today, we're revisiting a conversation with customer experience speaker and coach Dan Gingis from 2021. Dan has a 20-year corporate background at companies like McDonald's and Discover. He's the author of The Experience Maker. It's all about how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. And that's what Dan is going to talk about on today's episode. He shares his insights into why focusing on the customer leads to profitability and why you should become a customer of your own company. Dan is also going to discuss the Wiser model, what it is and how it'll positively change your business forever. Let's head over to Dan in studio. Dan, delighted to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an
1: honor to be here.
0: Before we start, could you give us a little bit of a background on yourself and your career so far? Sure. Well, I spent more than
1: 20 years in corporate America, mostly in marketing roles and evolving into customer experience roles. I worked for some pretty big companies, McDonald's, Discover Card, uh, Humana, across a bunch of different industries, and eventually decided to go out on my own at the beginning of 2019, I like to say the joke that I like working for the Dan better than I liked working for the man. (laughs) And and so now I'm an independent uh, speaker and coach on the topics of customer experience and customer service and marketing as well. And I love what I do because I get to work with great companies every day and really get other people as excited about the power of customer experience as I am.
0: So that kind of brings us perfectly to what we're going to be talking about on today's show, Ed. Your latest book, The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences That Your Customers Can't Wait to Share. So firstly, what is an experience maker?
1: An experience maker is anyone at an organization who is focused on the customer with every decision that they make. And what that means is that of course, we're going to make business decisions that make us money or that you know, reduce costs or improve revenue. But when we make those decisions, we have to make sure that we're using the right customer filter that we ask ourselves, well, how is this going to impact the customer? Because it might make us more money, like let's say, charging a fee for checking our bags on the airline. But it also might have the adverse effect of really irritating a lot of customers who may decide to go do business elsewhere. So an experience maker is always trying to make the customer's experience better to find those little improvements and to remove the barriers and the pain points.
0: So is an experience maker or can an experience maker like be the whole company as opposed to one person? Yeah. So
1: it's a great question. And there are lots of companies are organized in lots of different ways. But what I always recommend is that there should be a centralized customer experience department. The reason for that is that as companies grow and become more siloed, you need somebody who can see the entire journey from above, the 30,000 foot view, if you will. Right. And can see all of the transitions and, and all of the different ups and downs of the journey. But we also need to train and empower all of our employees to understand that they're in the customer experience business too. It's not just the frontline customer service agents or the person at the front desk of the hotel or the waiter or waitress at a restaurant that's in customer experience. It's really everyone in the organization, even if they never see a customer, because their job ultimately affects customers. You might be in the finance department. And your job might be in billing and you never speak to a customer, but you are designing invoices, which means that it's your responsibility that those invoices make sense to people and that they understand what they're being charged for and they understand the line items. You're probably in charge of the different payment methods that your company accepts. And so you're the person that ultimately decides whether we take certain credit card brands, whether we accept cryptocurrency, whether we accept PayPal or whatever it is. And so all of these decisions have a big impact on experience. It's just that most people's jobs have not been defined that way.
0: Right. So it's almost like a philosophy or a kind of a way of thinking.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is a way of thinking. And, and it comes down to, I think, a very simple fact, which is that for every company, if you look at what their number one asset is, it's their customers. And a close second might be their employees. But if we don't treat our customers like our best asset,
0: then we're going to lose our best asset and they're going to go somewhere else. (laughs) 100%. And actually, you know, something that you said that kind of speaks to that point is about the customer kind of going out the back door and, and not telling us why they've left is a dangerous customer. And I was wondering what you mean by that.
1: Sure. So in the book, I share this concept of what I call the leaky bucket. And the leaky bucket is what's leaking out our customers. And customers are leaving most businesses every day. Sometimes they leave in a you know, big <laughs> ball of flames and, and you know exactly why <laughs> they left. But most of the time, customers just switch. And the reason for that is it's become so easy to switch. And there's really... you know It used to be that we'd get tied down by multi-year contracts with our cable company or our phone company or whatever it is. And today, you pretty much can pick up and move to a different provider no matter what industry it is. It could be a dentist. It could be you know your favorite restaurant. It could be a retailer. It's so easy to just find someone else mm. that what customers have realized is, if I don't get treated well by this company, I'm going to go find a company that does treat me well. And the most dangerous customers are those ones that leave and never tell you because you don't know what it is that you did. <laughs> Right. I'd much rather someone say, look, Dan, I'm never going to work with you again because you XYZ. And then I know, at least for the next guy, don't do XYZ. Right. (laughs) But ones that just leave and never tell us about it. Those are really, really difficult. And so what I try to do in the book is teach people how to plug that leaky bucket, how to make it so that customers don't want to leave. In fact, they want to stay, they want to spend more, and they want to tell their friends about you. And that's how we can more organically grow our
0: business. So focusing on the customer leads to profitability. It seems like an obvious statement, but why do so many companies not focus on the customer?
1: They're so busy focusing on getting more customers because it's like this mantra of if some is good, then more must be better. And, and, and there's never an end, right? I've worked with sales teams. I've worked with uh, inside sales teams. Their goals go up every single year. It doesn't matter whether they exceeded the goals or met the goals or failed to meet the goals. The goals go up every year. Because if we brought on 10 customers l- last year, we need to bring on 12 this year. And the problem with that is, is that all the money and all the resources go towards acquisition. But then once customers are there, there's very little money or resources <laughs> being, uh, uh, being attributed to making sure that they have a good experience while they're there. And so we see lots of customers show up. We've spent all this money to acquire them. And then in the first couple of months, they're already gone because, they're, because we didn't live up to their expectations. And that can be the fault of a lot of different places. It might be that marketing or sales are over And that's a big problem is, you know, we promised the moon and then we're not in charge of delivering it. So we let it be someone else's problem. Or the rest of the organization is just simply not uh, delivering the kind of experience that the customer wants. And so if we spend all this money to acquire customers, but we don't spend anything to keep them, then oftentimes that acquisition money gets wasted. And I think if companies are being honest with themselves when they look at cost to acquire, They've got to take into consideration cost to acquire and keep. Because if you end up acquiring three customers in order to keep one, then that one customer just became a whole lot more expensive.
0: (laughs) In the book, you talk about why you want to get customers to share their experiences. Why is that important? When people
1: talk about us, it is so much more genuine and authentic than when we talk about ourselves. Hmm. If you tell your audience that, that I wrote a great book, that sounds a lot better than me saying I wrote a, a great book. But yet, <laughs> that's what brands do every single day. They say, look at us. We're great. We're awesome. Come drive our car. Come to our store. And that is advertising. And people respond one way or another to that. But when we hear that a friend went out to a restaurant last night and had an amazing experience, what, what happens next? We want to go. Like, it's just it's just human nature, right? It, yeah. You told me about this amazing experience. All right, I'm making a reservation. Because when I'm hearing it from you, from my friend, from a, a business associate, from a family member, it holds a lot more weight. And so what the book is really about is how do we get more intentional about creating experiences that people want to talk about and share because then they end up doing the marketing for us. And then my hope is that companies can... Relieve some of the pressure on acquiring new customers because existing customers are, become part of their sales force and they can use that money to continue to develop better experiences for their existing customers. You know, once I, after I published the book, I was driving behind a pickup truck and I had to get a picture of the back of this pickup truck. They're a, <laughs> they're a building company. They, they do homes and stuff. Right. And the back of the truck says, our clients are our best salespeople. Shouldn't that be what every company strives for? That we want our own clients and customers to be our best salespeople? That's really what customer experience can do. There's no reason that that this guy's clients are recommending him if they didn't have a good experience with him. So he's obviously doing something that is causing people to not only be happy with the delivery of their home, but also to want to tell other people about it. And that's, to me, where the magic happens.
0: Okay. So in terms of, uh, uh, sorry, someone's just arrived at the podcast studio door. Sorry. Just give me one second. Uh, oh, Niamh. Uh Neve is an editor here at Intercom. Hi, Liam. I've got a riddle for you. I'm, I'm kind of busy. This'll just take a sec. What's filled with the latest insights, trends, career tips and tricks, and up-to-date news from the customer service industry? This doesn't sound like a riddle. You got me. I just needed an excuse to get in here. It's the Intercom newsletter. We send it twice a month to more than 25,000 people and it's filled with everything you need to know about the customer service industry in an increasingly AI-powered world. I knew I should have asked for security for the studio. Okay, okay, I'm going. But before I do, you can sign up at intercom.com blog. Bye. Okay, uh, that was weird. Uh, okay, back to the show. At the center of the Experience Maker is your Wiser model, which I love. Uh, So just could you explain to us what is this model? What does it stand for? I'd love to go through it each letter. Sure. So I
1: took all of my experience, 20 plus years in corporate America, plus the three years or so that I've been working with clients independently and really came up with five themes that when put together really create and maintain the best experiences. And it starts with the concept of being wise to customer experience, which means being aware, focusing on your customer. And the four letters of wise stand for witty, immersive, shareable, and extraordinary. And those are four elements of remarkable experiences. And remember, I use the word remarkable intentionally. It means worthy of remark, worthy of discussion, Mm -hmm. worthy of talking about So, witty is about being clever, using language to your advantage, and refusing to be boring. It doesn't necessarily mean being hysterical. You don't have to bring humor into the game necessarily. But it is about being a little bit different and creative. Mm. Immersive is about making sure that the entire customer journey is consistent and fluid. As our companies grow and become more siloed, what happens is each individual silo owns a different part of the experience. And they might each be creating great experiences, but they don't go together in the customer's view. So it feels very choppy to the customer. Shareable is about being intentional about finding places in your experience where people are going to want to share. They're not going to share the entire experience. But when we create that moment, that people have no choice but to share. It's just, you. You've we've all been there, right? We reach into our pockets or our purses and we grab out our phone to take a picture. Nobody's told us to do it. We're mm. doing it because we're in the middle of something that we want to record and share. And so how do companies do that intentionally without having to say... Follow us on Instagram and tag us <laughs> and take a picture of this and be sure to do it you know, with this filter and blah, blah, blah. We don't, people don't want that level of instruction because they want it to feel spontaneous. So shareable is about where do we find those moments that we just know people are going to share. They, just, they, don't, right. they can't help themselves. And finally, extraordinary is about being just a little bit better than ordinary. Because after all, most of the experiences that we have are ordinary. And no one has ever said, let me tell you about the perfectly average restaurant I went to last night. But that is the reality of most experiences. Our millennial friends like to call them meh, right? Which (laughs) is just neither here nor there. And that's not shareable. So being extraordinary is about finding the places in your customer journey where you're ordinary, where you look like your competitor, where you're doing it like everybody else is doing it and finding an opportunity to do it better. And none of these, by the way, have to be expensive or difficult. And in fact, because I spent so much time in corporate America, I know how hard it is to get stuff done. I know Mm -hmm. how difficult it is to get budget approval and legal approval and management approval. So all of the examples shared in the book are meant to be simple, practical, and inexpensive so that you can just go do them. You don't really need to jump through all those hoops. Now, when you become wise to customer experience and people start sharing about your brand, Mm -hmm. that's when I want you to be wiser than the competition. And the R stands for being responsive. So as people are talking about us, we need to be part of that conversation, particularly in social media. If I get off the stage after a keynote and somebody comes up to me and says, Man, that was a great speech. I loved it. And I just keep walking past them and don't acknowledge (laughs) them. That's kind of rude. And they're not going to think very highly of me. And yet every single day, millions of customers go on to social media and sing the praises of the brands that they love. And those brands don't answer. And it's the same thing. It's just the digital version of that. And so I want companies to understand how important it is to engage with customers. Today's customer base wants that. They want a relationship with the brands that they spend their hard-earned money at. And responsive is about answering questions It's about responding to compliments and it's about handling complaints. And I share some great examples in the book, actually.
0: I I, I was just going to say, I I love some of these. They're they're fantastic. The Southwest Airlines, uh, hashtag rescue the dress. Yes. There's so
1: many great opportunities.
0: Southwest just responded to
1: a person who, by the way, I'm not even sure that she's even a customer of Southwest. (laughs) We don't know. But basically her story was that uh, she had flown to a friend's wedding in Costa Rica and had forgotten her bridesmaid's dress. And so she asked Southwest on Twitter whether they would fly the dress to her. As a passenger, and Southwest picked this up and made this whole PR amazing marketing out of it, (laughs) where people could track the dress, and they had, you know, if you went and and tracked the flight instead of a plane, it was like a little dress flying through the sky, and like, (laughs) I mean, they just totally milked it, but it was amazing, and it turned out to be great marketing. There's also fantastic examples of of tweets or Facebook posts that start off as being detractors. The person's actually upset with the brand in some way. But because the brand responded and did something, they turned the person from a detractor into an advocate, often in the matter of minutes. And there's no other channel where we can do that that I know of. And so it is incredibly powerful. And and some of the examples are ones that I experienced firsthand uh, when I worked at Discover Card, for example, we had some amazing examples. And, uh, and they just continue to surprise and impress me all, all these years later, because it really isn't that difficult. We're just asking you to have a conversation with your customers.
0: Something else I've heard you say is become a customer of your own company. What do you mean by that?
1: So I think this is so important, and it's such a missed opportunity executives are so used to sitting in their at their mahogany desks in their offices, you know, far away from everybody else. And not only are they not engaging enough with their own employees to know what's going on, but they're not engaging with their customers. And so many of us work in organizations where we're selling something that we're not a customer of. And and that's okay. Like you don't necessarily have to be in love with the product that you sell. But Becoming a customer of your own business means going through the process yourself that you're asking customers to go through. So let's say your customers need to create an account. Uh, you know, let's say you're a credit card company, right? Mm. And you have to create an account online. I want every employee to create their own account to go through that process. And what they're going to find is that process isn't as clean as they thought it was. There are parts of that process that are confusing, that are difficult, that maybe break. And you're never going to really find this out unless you do it yourself. The joke I always make to people is if you just want to do one thing, just forget your password and go through the <laughs> forgotten password process of your <laughs> company. Cause we all know that's a really sucky process in most cases. Yeah. And, you know, it's if you're not listening to your customers, uh, which you should be, becoming a customer yourself is the best way to really know what customers go through. After all, we're all consumers in our real lives. So we all know what we like and don't like. We all know what irritates us. Have you you ever talked to somebody that says, I really love pop-up ads on a website, Mm. right? Nobody. And yet companies still throw tons and tons of pop-up ads, sometimes more than two or three on the same page. Why do we do that to people when it would annoy us? And so that's what becoming your own customer helps you figure out is you're like, man, our page is annoying. Stop with all these pop ups.
0: Okay, there you go. (laughs) Broadly speaking, I was wondering kind of what you made of kind of COVID-19 and how that's kind of affected customer experience or, or, or where you see customer experience going coming out of this.
1: Yeah, it definitely shined a really bright light on both customer experience and employee experience. And I think companies will be forever changed because of it. And the reality is is that customers figured out pretty early on in the pandemic which companies were going to be there for them and which companies weren't. And some companies were... Nobody was really prepared, but some companies were more prepared than others. And lots of companies just did the whole check the box thing. And my favorite example of this is when the pandemic first started, it was much like uh, over there in Europe where uh, when, when the privacy laws changed and every company that ever had our email address <laughs> had to send us an, a, an updated privacy policy, right? <laughs> well, at the beginning of the pandemic, the same thing happened. We got emails from every company that ever had our email address. And they were talking, at least in the United States, about two things, enhanced cleaning procedures... And it was always Mm. the word enhanced. I don't know why. It wasn't improved. (laughs) It wasn't better. It just was enhanced. And then every one of them gave us a link to the CDC, which which is the Centers for Disease Control, to go learn more about the virus. Mm. Now, what literally seemed to happen was that one company started this, and then every other company scrambled and said, wow, we better do this too. And they like copied and pasted the same email and sent it out. And they said, okay, now we've done it. Then I got an email from my brokerage firm. And their email was completely different. It didn't talk at all about enhanced cleaning procedures. It didn't direct me to the CDC website. It said, Dan, we know that you must be nervous about a volatile stock market. And so we have all of these tools in place to help you through this difficult time. And I was like, that is exactly what I want for mm. my brokerage firm when the times are tough. Is I want, that I want them to show some empathy so they know that I'm nervous about a volatile <laughs> stock market and... I want them to give me a solution for that, which happens to be a whole suite of tools that they offer that I didn't know about. That's the kind of company that now the customer says, they were there for me when the chips were down. They were there for me when times were tough. I'm going to be loyal to them forever. And so that's what companies learned the hard way. And I think that going forward, what we've learned is... Also, I would say, just if I can step back for one more second, when I was talking before about how the switching costs are so low, we also saw a record number of people switching brands during the pandemic because of what we talked about. It's so easy to switch. And so the companies that were disappointing, that weren't there for them when they needed us, we just said, forget it. I'm going to go find somebody (laughs) who can help me right now. I'm out. (laughs) And so the number of switchers went way up during the pandemic. As to what we're going to see going forward, a couple of themes, I think, definitely arose. One of them obviously being that, that we have to focus on the customer and we have to understand their needs. Interestingly enough, the last two years, it has been easier to be empathetic than at any time in human history because we were all going through the same thing at the same time. So there was no excuse to say you didn't understand what your customer was going through. You were going through the same thing with your family, with your kids, with your schools being closed, whatever it was. Same exact thing. But also, I think uh, more tangibly, we learned a lot about how to keep our employees and our customers safe and how important that is to them. And so I do believe that safety is going to continue to be a mantra in customer experience and employee experience. And not just safety from a virus, but all sorts of safety, physical Mm. safety, emotional safety, digital safety. Customers are not going to do business with companies where they don't feel safe. And employees are not going to work at companies where they don't feel safe. So that I think is going to be a key takeaway. And then finally, I would say, one thing I really enjoyed seeing one of the positives of the pandemic was we saw so much innovation. And we saw Mm, so many companies realize that digital transformation didn't have to be a 10-year process, that they could make some really big changes in a really short amount of time. And obviously a lot of this innovation is going to outlast the pandemic because it made things better. And one of the examples I love to use is curbside pickup. Now, I'm actually a guy that likes grocery shopping. Believe it or not, (laughs) I like pushing the cart around. I like seeing what's on the shelf. I like picking my own fruits and vegetables. But in the pandemic, I learned that I could save two hours every weekend by just doing curbside pickup. I kind of like those two hours. And I can think of something of better things to do during those two hours than going grocery shopping. And so I believe that's a great example of an innovation that is going to stick, that people are going to want to continue to use even after everybody feels 100% safe going back to the grocery store. But these are all good things because it means that we're moving innovation forward. Absolutely.
0: So then just before we wrap up with the experience maker, what do you want readers to take away from your book?
1: I want readers to feel inspired and empowered to make a difference at their own company. Customer experience does not have to be a years-long, multi-million-dollar transformational process. It actually is just a series of a lot of little things. And if you start to observe the little things and you start to attack the little things, get rid of the pain points, get rid of the customer irritations, add things when you can to make them better and to turn them from ordinary into extraordinary You're going to wake up in a short period of time and you're going to see that you've already been transforming the experience, even though you didn't feel like you were part of a massive (laughs) transformation project. And the idea of the book is it's filled with real life examples that should be inspiring to people. I want people to read an example where they say and and have the reaction of, why aren't we doing this at our company? I could do this tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Great. Go do it. (laughs) carry on, right? <laughs> that's what I want. And then if I can create a whole bunch of experience makers around the world at companies, then I I really feel like I've done my job.
0: Just before we go, uh, this series is all about hearing how companies uh, scale their growth. But before we finish up, I'd love to know what was a key event in your career that helped you scale professionally?
1: Wow, that's a great question. I haven't been asked that one before. So I I, I always love (laughs) that one. Just to put you on the
0: spot. (laughs) No,
1: that's, that's great. The thing that really changed for me is when I started working for myself, I realized that I had been chasing all the wrong things in corporate America. I had really gotten swept up in the climbing the corporate ladder. And measuring myself based on salary and bonus and stock and my title and how fast I was moving up and all these things. And what I wasn't paying attention to was job satisfaction, happiness, mental health, etc. And now that I work for myself, I realize that I can do both. I, I can make a lot of money, and also be really excited about what I do every day and wake up. I'm not a morning person. So I always measure <laughs> my job satisfaction by the number of times I hit the snooze button on the alarm. <laughs> and, and now I wake up and I'm excited to go to work every day because I'm doing what I love. And to me, that's been transformational and has helped me scale because it doesn't feel like work. So even though there are some nights where I'm working till two o'clock in the morning, it doesn't feel like a burden to me because I'm doing what I love doing. And I think that is such an eye opener. And I wish, although I did like a lot of the jobs that I had in corporate America, I wish I had learned that earlier Mm. and had focused a little bit differently. uh, Because I think my career path
0: would have been different if I had. I love that, though. Um, But lastly, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work and find your book?
1: Well, you can go to dangingus.com and my last name is G-I-N-G-I-S-S. And that will link you to everything about me uh, and anything that you want to learn about me. But I'm also very active on LinkedIn and also on Twitter at DGingus. And one of the things that I pride myself in is I practice what I preach. So if I'm going to talk about responsive in my book, I promise I will be responsive to you if you reach out to me. So feel free to do so.
0: And uh, I'd love to chat. Excellent. Everyone go tweet Dan right now. (laughs) Um, Hey, (laughs) challenge accepted. I will respond. (laughs) It's been great to chat with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Liam. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dan Gingus from our archives. You will find lots more great chats and insights in our back catalog. That's it for today. Thanks for listening.